Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, open up to Ruth, the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Uh, We're um, kicking off a new series this morning, and uh, even more than that, kind of a theme for the next six months, Lord willing, and it's up here on the banner, Find Yourself in the Story. And uh, I want to give a just a little explanation of that before I jump into uh, Ruth chapter one and what my thinking is. We're going to be doing uh, at least three narratives, books of the Bible, uh, in the next six months. We're going to do Ruth, and then we're actually going to go back over and finish uh, Peter, Second Peter. And then uh, we're going to come back to Esther, have a short series for uh, Easter, and then we're going to do um, uh, Jonah. So... Um, we have uh, these narratives coming up, and as I was thinking about it, narrative is, is, for me, a little more challenging to preach on. Um, and one of the biggest rules of, of narratives is that sometimes narratives are descriptive, not prescriptive, which we're going to see uh, in the message this morning. And so we have to be careful that just because it's recorded in the Bible, it's not saying, thus saith the Lord, always. It's just telling us a story. And when we look at the Bible, we often, in fact, when we do our devotion time, I ask you to ask the questions, who is God, Uh, what is he doing, who am I, and what am I doing? We love to to look at ourselves in the story, like we're the center of the story, and we're not. So when we come to God's word, this story is happening on three levels. On one level, God is working in your life to draw you into relationship with him, to redeem you and save you and mold you into his image. On another level, on a second level, God is working in the community of believers, of which you are a part of. You have a role in that. He's working in the church. He's working in the church large sea. He's working in the kingdom of God. And this, this work is happening and you're a part of that and you need to be a part of that But sometimes when we just keep the first level and we move it into community, then community becomes about what is in it for me. And that's not what the community level is about. It's what God is moving and directing you to do in the world and in the body. And then the third level, the third level is that God is working out this whole story from Genesis to Revelation, and he is sovereignly moving in his will and in his way. And in that part of the story, you have a very minuscule, small, tiny part, like a flea on the back of a Great Dane, okay? I mean, it's small. And so we look at God's word from these different levels in which he's working. And so my challenge to you as we're going through this kind of series and this thought in the next six months is where am I in the story? What is it that I can learn from this story? How do I see myself working uh, what God is doing in me what God is using me and how he's using me in the community. And then let's look at the bigger story of what God is doing despite us in that sense or uh, in, in, you know, with us, but you know, we're not really that big of a part of it. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, and that's the theme that we're going to have. And so uh, we're jumping in today uh, to the book of Ruth. Now, uh, I always like to give a few disclaimers so I don't get too many emails uh, most of you are afraid of me and you don't send me emails anymore. But um, here, here, here's just the, the truth. Like, um, we have a problem when we approach some of these Old Testament stories. And the problem exists in two different ways. First of it, 
The first problem, uh, another pastor addressed as the veggie tale problem. And the veggie tale problem is, is we've taken these biblical stories and we've turned them into cute little song, Disney, cartoon things that all have a nice little story and it wraps up into a moral ending at the end that be more courageous, be more good, you know, you can do it, obey your parents or whatever it is. And some of these stories are a little darker than that. Some of these stories have a a PG-13 theme to them in parts. And so we don't want to dumb down the story at all. And I'm going to challenge you on some of the characters here. Um, And some of you are going to go, that's not how I understood that character. And you're going to get mad at me. And I would just say, I'm challenging you. Think about it a little bit. You can go back to your safety place if you want. But I'm going to challenge some of the characters in this story. The, and, and part of the problem that we have, the VeggieTale problem, the second part of the problem that we have when we approach scriptures that too many of us watched old westerns growing up. And in old westerns, it was just very clear there was a guy with a white hat and a guy with a black hat. I mean, you didn't, you could, it could be in a different language and you could be watching and you go, oh, that's the good guy. And we tend to look at stories that way, especially in scripture. We either think somebody is all good or somebody is all bad, and that's not how we are. Some of us have flaws, and we're broken, and God is working this story through us, and so sometimes when we point out that somebody is broken or is not responding correctly, somebody says, wait a second, they're one of the good guys. They are, but they're also broken. And so we wanna identify those things. So we're jumping into Ruth chapter one, and I, I have wrestled all week, whether I'm gonna read the whole chapter or tell the story or what I'm gonna do. So I encourage you sometime you know, uh, this week to go read Ruth. It's only a few chapters so that you make sure that you're clear with it. I'm gonna kind of do a little combination of both. That way I settle my, my exegetical preaching uh, habit and also can tell a story here. So jump into Ruth chapter one with me. Uh, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judea went to sojourn in the country of Moab, um, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were, now see, here's where we need a little bit of Hebrew, okay? Uh, The names of his two sons uh, the first son, uh, his name means sickling. You don't normally name your kid that, okay? Sickling or weakling, okay? And the other son's name is wasting away or pining, okay? So you, if I read these names and butcher them in the English, it doesn't, it doesn't do you any good, okay? So he has two sons, weakling and wasting away, okay? Those are, his, those are his two kids. They were Ephronites from Bethlehem in Judea. In the country, uh, they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Ophrah, and the name of the other was Ruth, and they lived, about, uh, lived there about 10 years. And both, sickling 
and pining away died. So the woman was left without her sons and her husband. Now, many of you are familiar with the story. So Naomi says, you know what? I hear there's some good things going on back home, and I'm heading home. And her family, which is now just two other widows, come with her. And on the journey outside of the city, and some commentators say this, is, this may be significant in the sense that now she feels a freedom that she didn't have in a Moabite town to freely talk about Yahweh. And, and she, at that point, perhaps is saying, uh, you know, here's what I believe. Um, and so there might have been a, a conversation here. But if you look at the text, she says, um, as they left, Naomi said to her true daughters, verse 8, Go, return each of you to uh, your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, so as you have dealt uh, with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each one of you, in the house of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Now, neither, they didn't want to leave. And so they kind of cling to her, and Naomi says, look, here's the way of the world, right? If you are going to marry, you would marry and stay in my house. You would marry one of the younger brothers. It's just the time. They don't have any options. She says, what are you going to do? Even if I went home and found a husband and had a child, are you going to wait that many years? And one of the gals goes, mm-mm, no. She heads home. Now we know that Ruth clung to Naomi. And so in here, she says, Naomi says to Ruth, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people, to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May Yahweh do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them returned to Bethlehem, which kind of causes a little bit of stir. People are like, what's going on? And uh, they, they settle in, and, and people are coming to Naomi. They know her. And she said, verse 20, she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and Yahweh has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter, in law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So, as we look at uh, this story, it begins with during the time of the judges. So, it places it in a time and a place. And we need to know a little bit about the book of Judges. The book of Judges has seven cycles in it, and these cycles all have the same pattern within them 
of what is happening in the land at that time. So we are going to look at this morning uh, those cycles, uh, and then we're going to look at the cycles of bad decisions, and then breaking the cycles of bad decisions. So five cycles that are in Judges. I said it happened seven times, but there's five things that happen in each of those cycles. And the first, on your notes there, is relapse. Relapse. And so here's, here's what relapse looks like. If you want to keep your finger here, you can turn to Judges chapter 2. It's just very clear uh, what relapse looks like over and over again to different degrees and what they're doing. In chapter 2, verse 11, it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. That's what they did. They relapsed spiritually. They relapsed on their commitment to God. They relapsed on their worship. They relapsed on their commitments to the temple and to each other. And so this relapse happens seven different times in the book of Judges. And after each of these relapses, the same thing happens. Ruin. They end up in a bad situation. Each of them is different. Uh, there could be a tribe that comes in, and in one case there's a tribe that comes in. They just happen to show up all the time at harvest time, and they, take every, they, they harvest everything. The tribe comes in and takes everything from them and runs off, and, and Israel's left trying to hide part of their harvest. They're trying to live on so little. Um, other times they're completely overtaken. All these different things happen. Uh, they're ruined. The country, the people, individually, corporately, ruined in bad shape. They are experiencing the judgment of God. Now, after that, when people are ruined, they start going, hey, we should, uh, we should maybe pray. Uh, we, we haven't really uh, been doing the things that God has told us to do, so they repent. Uh, usually in the book of Judges, um, that is signaled by the term, and then they called out to the Lord. And then they called out to the Lord. Well, this is getting bad. We need help. Now, isn't it interesting, when things were going good, they were fine serving the Baals and the Asherah and all the different gods of, of that land. But when things were bad, it's like, well, we better return to Yahweh. So they cry out to the Lord. So you have relapse and ruin and then repentance. And then in the book of Judges, God often brought a judge. And he overtook, he, he fought the battles, he, he did whatever, and there was restoration. Restoration in the land. So relapse, relapse ruin, uh, repentance, restoration. And things are, now there's something to be said about the judges here. We're not going through the book of Judges but if you read Judges, what you will notice is that the Judges get progressively worse. And what I mean that by that is morally. Uh, at the beginning of the book, they're pretty, you know, decent, Yahweh-fearing people, good Judges. By the end, you're like, God chose this guy? He's a womanizer. He has little faith at all. And you kind of just get the impression that God's working with what he's got. 
Okay, so the judges get work, uh, worse, but there's restoration and then there's rest. Now, understand that I use these uh, five to uh, teach this to my students. This is actually one of the things I make them memorize for the final. And, and here's why I have them memorize this. Because this is our story too. We relapse. We find ourselves in a bad situation. We need to learn to cry out to God and to repent and see when God is restoring us. And the rest here, it's not like this isn't rest, i.e., uh, you know, retirement or not working or, or you know, sitting on a cloud playing. A, that's not the kind of rest. The rest is, what is the rest from? It's from the ruin, whatever the ruin was. It's from the difficulties. It's from the oppression. It's not a rest from work, as we're going to see. In fact, Ruth, the book of Ruth, praises work. It's a rest from what we're fighting against. So those are the cycles. Now, I went through all that because we're putting this in context. Now, let me go back to Ruth chapter 1. Look at it with me. In the days when the judges ruled... There was a famine in the land. Pop quiz, what part of the cycles are we in? Ruin. In fact, famine is one of the biggest ways that God said, hey, when you disobey me, this is what's going to happen. So we know exactly where they are in the story. Now, we don't know which part of judges they come from, but we know what's going on. Okay, so if you're in the stage of ruin, what should you do? Repent. What does Naomi's family do? Run. Not the proper response. So we know where we are in the story. Uh, there's relapse. We don't know what the relapse was. We don't know what part, again, what part of Judges, you know, what chapter we would place this story in. But we know what causes relapse. Relapse is when we uh, don't effectively pass our faith on to the next generation. Now, we see that in the book of Judges because it'll say there was rest in the land, and then that rest is usually somewhere between 20, 30, 40, 60 years. In other words, oh, we repented, we received restoration, but the next generation somehow misses it. And it's a reminder of the importance of passing our faith to the next generation. Another reason why we relapse is that we're looking for shortcuts. Now, understand that the thinking during that time was that the gods of Canaan, of the promised land where they came, those were, they was, those were farming gods. They were, they were fertile gods. And Yahweh, he had been with his people. They were out in the desert. We're up on the mountain. And so some people come in and they go, well, in this land, we need this type of God to do this type of work because this is what we want. And so we'll take a little shortcut. Now, what we learn, right, is God is a God of all these things. He created it all. But sometimes we end up in ruin because we're trying to take shortcuts to get the things that we think we need or want. Another reason why we end up in relapse is that we compromise, or we just don't trust God. So again, we see that there's a famine in, uh, in the land. That's God's divine judgment, Leviticus chapter 26. Uh, we know it's a pretty severe famine as we look at the names of, 
of sickling and weakling and pining, right? We go, okay, it was severe. Um, and we understand that. And so we can put ourselves in that picture of when our kids are struggling, where there's not much work, there's not much food, and you can, you can picture it, there's desperate times. And they head to Moab. Now, again, sometimes we just read these stories and we go, okay, it's, it's Moab. But let me just put this in context for you. Moab is a foreign land with foreign gods. If, if you are short on work and you come to me and you say, Dave, I just, uh, I just got a job offer in, in uh, you know, San Francisco, okay? Or I got a job offer in Chicago or New York or whatever it is. You, I got a job offer. Should I take it? I mean, that may be a morally neutral question, right? But here, in Old Testament setting, moving to Moab was not morally neutral. God had given them the land. This was the gift from God. That's where he is dwelling with his people. Moab isn't morally neutral here. And so they went to a foreign land with foreign gods. Now, Moab, just a little history for you, is uh, uh, the Moabites originated from an incestuous relationship between Lot and his oldest daughter. Uh, when they were coming out of Egypt, when Israel's coming out of Egypt, King Balak hired Balaam, remember, to curse the people of Israel, which uh, he is unable to do. But then Balak uh, and, and Balaam devise a way to bring God's judgment on his people by alluring them away uh, in idol worship and immorality. In fact, even in Judges 3, uh, Moab is one of the oppressors of Israel. He's one of the people that are coming in and, and doing all these things. So he, here's my reason. Moab is not morally neutral. And so when we see Naomi's family heading over there, we're supposed to read that as, don't do that thing. Okay, this is a bad decision. And the narrative tells us that, right? What happens? The husband dies. The two sons die. So we see in the narrative that this is a bad decision. And sometimes when things are desperate, we say things like, desperate times require desperate measures. And that's not always true. I have to confess, I, can, I know that sometimes in our life, you know, looking back when, when life got hard, I made some impulsive decisions. It's like, we got to do something. And we see here that Naomi's family is making some poor decisions, okay? So that is the context. We might ask the question, why does God allow us to be ruined? Well, ruin is supposed to lead us to repentance. Sometimes God tests us. Sometimes God brings us into trials. Sometimes there's difficult times to draw us closer to God, to repent and to trust in him. Uh, we don't see that happening uh, really in chapter one. In the life of Naomi, we see it a little bit in Ruth, and we're going to get to that in a second. There's some wrong responses when God's hand is upon us that is from this text that just stood out to me. In other words, when you're in that phrase of life, when things are difficult and God's hand is heavy upon you, here's things we don't want to do. First of all, we don't want to lose our identity. Now, 
it, it's, it's very subtle in the text. And we sometimes skip over this as just being kind of the awkwardness of reading the Bible. But it tells us here who this family is in verse 2. The name of the man uh, is Elimelech. His name means uh, God is my king, which he's not acting that way. His, his wife's name is Naomi, and the names of the two sons, and they were Ephraimites. Now, you go, oh, big word, okay? Let me just kind of put that in context for you, little Old Testament nerd stuff here. Okay, there's 12 tribes of Israel, correct? 12 tribes, and if you read the story, they come into the promised land, and they divide the land up into 12 parts. Well, if you're doing the math, there's a problem with that, because the Levites, they don't get an inheritance, so 12 minus 1 still equals 12. So how does that work out? As they were in Egypt, Jacob said to Joseph, his son, your two sons born to you in Egypt are mine. So Joseph's inheritance is split between his two sons. Okay? So 12 minus 2 plus 2 equals 12. That's where we get. And so they were descendants of Ephraim, Joseph's son, born to him in Egypt. Now, for you and I, you know, I, it's really big right now to do the, the uh, DNA test. One, my kids have, a couple of my kids have done it, um, and I think my wife did it. Um, you know, we're like 20%, 19%, 5%. I mean... There's just no, we're, we're mutts, my family. It's just, I don't know how else to say it, okay? Uh, you know, and so I don't have a, a strong, you know, alliance to anything. And some of you are very, very much into your heritage. I'm not saying anything wrong with that. But for Israel, this was a big deal. This was the tribe you belonged to. This was your inheritance. This was your identity. And sometimes when life gets difficult, when we go through the trials of life, we lose our identity, who we are in Christ. Maybe even our family and our friends. Um, you know, it's interesting to you read this story and they're, they're pining away, they're starving, they're not doing well. But when Naomi comes back in town, everybody's like, hey, there's Naomi. It's not like she wasn't known there. It's not like there, there wasn't a community there, but somehow they left that identity. And sometimes in the most difficult times, we are willing to throw our identity away. And we need to be careful with that. The second thing is, during difficult times, I keep putting my notes down, sorry. Um, we have a loss of faith. Again, his name means God is my king. But it doesn't seem at all like he is living under that reality. Uh, he leaves his place. Uh, he leaves his inheritance and he goes into a land with foreign gods. Um, even in the story, right, the husband dies and the, the sons take foreign wives. Uh, there's a decision process in there and one that is contrary to what God's word says at that point in time for them. Okay, so there's just a lot of bad decisions in there, loss of faith. And obviously, when we're under God's ruin, when we're in this place, there's a loss of stability, and I, I just, I say that because I, I mean, I'm not there and I understand people, you know, we do whatever we can for our kids, but there was a community there 
that they left. And sometimes when we leave, and I ask people this all the time, this, and so some of you are like, he said that to me. Look, I say this to a lot of people. When people are saying, hey, we're going to another church or you know, I'm going to do this or I'm gonna, we're going to move here, I'll ask this question. Are you running to something or are you running from something? And I think that there's perhaps you can see both in the story. Obviously, they're running to trying to find some work, feed their kids. But they're also running from something. And anytime we run from something, we lose stability. Um, Some of you in this room have been friends for a lot of years. Um, Man, there's some friendships in this room that have existed for 20, 30, 40 years. And if you were to say, hey, we're going to go retire in Florida, I don't know why anybody would want to do that. But if you were to do, and and you know what, you might get a stealing deal on a house, beautiful view, you won't have in the cold and rain, but you know what you won't have is that 30 or 40 years of relationship that you've invested in. And so there's, there's a loss of stability, even if you might gain financial stability and lose what? Relational stability. And I, we don't always consider those things. Um, so I often ask those questions. And then finally, there's a loss of hope. Um, I mean, Naomi comes at the end and basically says, you know what, call me bitter. Um, now, she doesn't say, call me hurting, right? Oh, man, I'm really hurting. It's been rough. She doesn't say, call me, uh, uh, you know, have lived through some rough times. She is telling you something about how she is viewing the situation. How is she viewing the situation? She's bitter. How do you think her relationship with God is? How do you think her relationship with her family is? Look, those of you who know bitter people, it just oozes out of them. Call me bitter. And you know one of the gals in the group that came and brought tea and cookies to welcome her back, going, yeah, we called you that while you were gone too. You know, I, it was the same thing. We saw this coming. And so we have a, we have a loss of hope. And the funny thing is, is we're looking at the story again on the human level. Naomi's had a really rough time, but God is doing something not just in saving her and saving Ruth, but in saving all mankind through them. God is working this incredible story. Spoiler alert. Okay, so these things impact us. All right. Second, or sorry, one more thing on your notes. What's the right response to God's hand upon us? You should have gotten this right right? We relapse, ruin. What's next? Repentance. That's the right response. Uh, Let's just look at just kind of from Ruth chapter two, breaking the cycles of bad decisions. Um, At some point in time, Naomi is in Moab. She is a widow. Her daughter-in-laws are widows. And she says, I am going home. 
I hear better things are happening back home. And when I read that, I really thought of the story of the prodigal son who is sitting there looking at the trough with pigs going, hmm, that looks tasty. And it says in the story, he came to himself. I think the, the, the first thing that we need to do in this cycle, uh, breaking the cycle of bad decisions is come to ourself. Uh, I was uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Jess Strickland, who passed. And uh, um, it's a, a 21-day devotional book. And he sent a copy uh, to my wife and I over the holiday saying, just really respect you guys, love for you guys to read this and give you input. And um, Janine had come by the office. I said, hey, Jess sent us this. She sent us a nice note. You should read this. And um, woke up uh, January 1st, and uh, my wife says, I did chapter one. Said, oh, we're doing this thing. So uh, we're starting uh, this 21-day uh, devotional, and it's got a bunch of fasting and different things. And uh, two of the chapters, just the last two chapters, just really impacted me. And it's, it was about Thanksgiving and grumbling and, and all, all this attitude stuff. And Jess brings out the point, who are you feeding? Are you feeding the negativity or are you feeding in praise and worship? And I was really convicted by that. And there's that, that moment where the prodigal, that each of us go, this is the wrong path. This is that moment where I need to, and Naomi makes that decision. We need to praise her for that. It's good. Now, the second thing that happens, and it's not as clear in your text as I wish it was, but there is repentance in Ruth chapter 1. And so look at it with me. Um, there is a Hebrew word uh, that is used, uh, I think it's, uh, what did I put on my notes? I think it's used about nine times, ten times, from verses, uh, verses 6 through 22. So just look at it with me. Verse 6. Uh, they arose and her daughter-in-laws to return. Verse 7, uh, they went on their way to return. Verse 8, but Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go, return. Verse 10, and they said to her, no, we will return. Verse 11, but Naomi said, turn back, same Hebrew word. Verse 12, turn back, same Hebrew word. Verse 15, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back, returned. Verse 16, and Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return. Same Hebrew word. Verse 21, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back. Same Hebrew word. Verse 22, so Naomi returned. One of the ways Hebrew writers get our attention is by repetition. And if you're reading this in Hebrew, you're like going, just keeps coming. Now, here's an interesting thing about that word. That word is, is the most used Hebrew word for repentance. It means to turn back to God, it's often used. Or it's used of those who don't turn back to God. And so what the writer is doing here is, I want to give you a little hint about what's about to happen. This Moabite woman is going to become a follower of Yahweh. And, and you start to feel it, it's building in the story. Something's about to happen in the life of Ruth. 
The second clue to that happening, and we could look at other words. I had a bunch on here. I don't think I put them up on verses. No, I didn't. Um, you could look at the, the common one that many of you are familiar with is in Second Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name, right, if they turn, if they return, that, that's the idea of coming back, of repentance. And we see it all through the, the, the Old Testament. And so the writer here is going, hey, pay attention here. Something is about to happen. There's repentance. And one of the things that stood out to me in this story is that when Ruth comes back, there is all sorts of hints that something spiritually is happening in her life. When Naomi comes back, she says what? Call me bitter. And what the author is saying is God is doing something in the life of a foreigner that's above and beyond what he's doing in the life of his people. You're supposed to see the irony here. It's not Naomi who is being praised. It's Ruth, the Moabite woman, who is being lifted up. And in fact, what happens is Ruth followed Naomi to Bethlehem. And what happens in the rest of the story is Naomi is kind of following on Ruth's coattails. That's her family. But something reversal is happening that God is saying, I'm going to do something. We have to talk about it because that causes a huge problem in the Old Testament, but that's for next week. You'll have to come back and find out what the problem is and how we resolve it. But what we see is that they came to themselves. There is repentance. And then third, there is, uh, they count the cost. They count the cost. It's interesting uh, in here, uh, Naomi is very honest with them. She says, look, if you, and I'm paraphrasing here, but if you go home to your mother's house, you have hope that somebody else will come along and marry you. And you will have a family and all these things will happen. If you come back with me, that's unlikely to happen. And so it is, Ruth's decision is odd. Why did Ruth choose this? I believe it's because she saw something in Yahweh, in God. I believe that there's something in the relationship that was more important to her, to God and to Naomi, that she follows her. And so she had to count the cost. The two ladies are given a choice. One says, I'm going home. The other says, I'm going with you. Both of them, Naomi is wishing well. She's praying for them. She's putting blessings on them, but they make different choices. And it really reminded me of the idea of becoming a follower of Jesus. Jesus says you need to count the cost. You need to understand what it's going to cost to follow me. In other words, it's not just about this whole thing of um, I'm going to choose heaven over hell or I'm going to choose Jesus over the devil. No, it's, it's about I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he goes. I'm going to count the cost. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. And then what we see here, and again, we need to look at the, the whole of the Old Testament, is that Ruth makes a covenant commitment. If you look at verses 16 and 17, which um, is very familiar words to some of you who have been around before, and we, we honor them, but she is using covenant language from Leviticus. Um, basically, she is using the language that God uses with us. And she says, look, I'm, I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to follow you. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. 
and where you die, I will die. God uses kind of the same language with his people. He says, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. And so she is, she is in, in, uh, incorporating covenant language in her decision to follow Jesus. And then finally, this idea of, of breaking this, this habits of bad decision is we need to let our light shine. So in verse 22, it says, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem, beginning of the barley harvest. And what we find is Ruth begins to make a name for herself. People begin, begin to recognize her. They're talking about it. Why did this Moabite woman come back here? What is, what's going to happen here? And what we find out is her character is going to shine. She doesn't come in and say, hey, you guys should do things the way we do. We have a really good barley harvest at home. She, she comes in and she submits herself to God's people and God's way, and she makes a name for herself, which is why we love this story. So here's some application and action this morning. Um, I think that each of us maybe need to acknowledge where we are in the story or where we are in the cycle. Maybe you're looking at that story and you're going, man, I feel like I'm ruined. Or maybe you're at the rest, and you go, what do you mean rest doesn't mean rest? Well, we'll get to that. Um, maybe if you're at ruin, you need to come to repentance. Maybe you're at the verge of relapse, and, and you need to repent before you get to ruin. Um, you know, I understand, like, life gets hard at times. And we get so wrapped up into fixing life that we forget this walk that we have with Jesus Christ and what he's calling us to do. So first, maybe just acknowledge where you are in the story. Now, I, you know, again, spoiler alert, uh, Moabites weren't really well-liked. And not just by Israel. Moabites weren't well-liked by God in the Bible. It says if some of them come, then they can't participate in temple stuff for like six generations. David's third generation, clue to what the problem is. God says, man, these people are, these people are bad. I don't care where you are in ruin, what you've done, how far away from God you have gone, come, there's restorations for those who seek. It's just an amazing part of God's story. It's amazing what happens when wrecked people humble themselves before God. Second, after you acknowledge where you are in the story, uh, we need to respond. Um, and, I, you know, I just want to say this. I, I'm challenging us in this idea of where you are in the story um, because, and let me just, just speak kind of honestly here, um, conservative Baptist uh, church, which this is, and historically, uh, we are very like preaching, teaching, exegetical theology group of people. Um, it's just it's just in our DNA. It's in the and if you go look at our history, there's reasons for that, all that kind of stuff. And you go, yeah, Dave, we want the word preached, and I, you guys say that to me, encourage me, and I appreciate that, and I believe in that. But let me just say something else. This life was actually meant to be lived. It's not just intellectual. And so your response is not going, oh, yeah, that's interesting. I never thought about Naomi in that sense. And boy, 
thank you for showing me the word repentance in chapter. No. How do we respond to the story? How do we lead others to repentance? How do we not become bitter? How do we repent in a right way? See, we have to respond to the story in a way that brings God glory. We actually, more than just intellectual assent, we actually have to do it. And it, it is, it's, you know, we read the story, chapter one is 22 verses, or is that right? Did I get it right? 20, yeah, 22 verses. And this has been more than 10 years. It's at least, 10, it's at least 11, 12, 15 years of life that's happened that's brought this woman from her hometown to a foreign town, to losing everything she has, to going back home, feeling bitter. There's a lot going on here. We're not just talking about five minutes worth of reading. We're talking about 10 to 15 years of somebody's life. And for some of you, you might be in that ruin stage for that long. And you're going, Dave, you don't understand we have been broken for years and years and years. And that's where we find ourselves in the story. Restoration is still possible when we respond. And then finally, as we look at the story, we need to follow. Uh, where is it that God is leading you in the new year? What is he asking you to do? Where is he asking you to grow? Where is he asking you to invest? And if we look at those three levels, what is he asking you to grow personally, individually? What is he asking you to do? And then in corporate, how is he asking you to be involved in the community and the kingdom of God in a way that brings him glory? Now, I said the last stage, we have very little. God is going to do what he's going to do. He's going to return. You don't get a vote, okay? He doesn't need a, he doesn't need a church vote, thank goodness, because he'd you know, never probably get one. Uh, so he doesn't need any of that. So find yourself in the story and respond to it. Ruth is a little bit more of a challenge in this narrative. Uh, next week, uh, we have some really big challenges in the text, and uh, you want to come back for that, because God is doing some amazing things in the story, and it encourages us to believe and follow him. So let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this morning. Uh, we are going to come to your table here in just a few minutes. I pray that you would begin uh, to work in our hearts, uh, to prepare us, Lord, some this morning might feel ruined. And this might be a time of repentance leading to restoration. Some might be living in a state of uh, things are okay. There hasn't been any difficulties in my life for a long time. And it just might be a time of thanking you for your provision in their life. But either way, Lord, we recognize that we're here because of your son, Jesus Christ, and his death and resurrection. So Lord, help us to find us a place in that story, a place at the table, regardless of uh, whether we uh, are broken or are in the process of being healed. Lord, we recognize that we're all sinners in need of your grace. And so we come to your table in just a few minutes and with open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.